you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? DJ Bucky here, Move the Sticks. Uh, what's going on, Buck? How you doing, man? Man, everything's good for me. Just still over the water, just kind of hanging out. I know. What, what is? Uh, give me a Bucky Brooks meal plan in London. What are we working with here at breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Oh, man, it's been a little different. So at the apartment, they always have uh, like a little free continental breakfast. So, man, I have eating all kinds of stuff that I normally don't eat. Bread for days for your boy. Croissants, <laughs> scones, Lots all of kinds of stuff. I mean, I'm just all kinds of stuff. But London is so great because it's so multicultural. So I've been kind of sampling a bunch of different fare. I went to a Indian restaurant uh, the other night nice. and had some korma and some stuff. And then last night, what did I do? The Japanese had a little curry. You like Greek? Do you like that's Greek food? Stuff. I do like Greek food. So that's where I'm at. The neighborhood so where I am. Talk to Henry because our buddy Henry Hodgson, who's uh, from London. Yeah, he's over in Germany right now. In fact, I bumped into him at the airport. Oh, um, nice. You, you hit him yeah, up and ask him what, what the name of the uh, the restaurant that he took me and money to uh, a month or so ago. It was one of the best Greek uh, restaurants I've ever been to. It was phenomenal. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I mean, I'm in a neighborhood with, uh, let's see, a little Polish influence, uh, Eastern European. So it's been, it's been great, man. It's, it's, nice. it's been crazy. So I'm looking forward to going – uh, into the city, uh, hopefully Friday and Saturday, kind of explore. I'm going to do some of the touristy stuff so I can get some uh, pictures to make sure I post on Instagram and do all that other stuff. But, no, nah, it's been great. That's awesome, man. So Buck's over there taking care of uh, taking care of growing the Move the Six uh, podcast brand internationally, and uh, that's off to a big start there with the work he's doing over there on Sky Sports. Opposite here in Southern California, we do have a fun show, though, Buck. We've got our buddy Brady Quinn going to join us, talk uh, some – some college football as well as a little NFL football. I, by the way, Kent, if you can hear me. Uh, I can. I and speaking, he mentioned I'm, Polish I'm, food. I just had some pierogi last night. I'm a Slovak nice. native, Pittsburgher, so pierogi is kind of near and dear to my heart. So I had some pierogi last night. So I well, love the Polish food. Fantastic food take. I was just going to hit you up and say, though, I'm, I'm looking down here. Did we really clip off the audio of me trashing Notre Dame? We're going to play that for Brady Quinn. Oh, Brady, Brady's – I mean, we're friends. He's going to kill me. We absolutely have that clipped and ready to go. <laughs> 
Oh, that'll be fun. Uh, so we'll have some fun there with Brady Quinn, but uh, also going to jump into these NFL games as we do uh, every week, going uh, game by game, kind of what we're looking forward to watching in those football games. But off the top here, Buck, I'm kind of looking for some news that uh, might interest you. I, I don't know. Did you see the, uh, the the Eagles linebacker had a little trash talk there for the Cowboys? Uh, I, I, I did. Hill. It's probably not What's something that, that? I, I probably wouldn't advise that. If I'm Doug Peterson, that's certainly that I didn't want to do. I didn't want to rile up the Hornets. Now, so I would like to catch the Cowboys sleeping coming off that big win. But now you can rest assured that now that they've started talking, Demarcus Lawrence and his teammates will certainly have their full attention. Um, <laughs> I just, man, because we saw them riled up against the New Orleans Saints. For, and New Orleans didn't say anything. And they kind of came out with a lot of energy. Um, a lot of swag, and now with the Eagles doing in a rivalry game, you're definitely going to get the Cowboys' attention. This should be a fun one to watch. Yeah, I, I got a kick out of it. It just it's it, it seems like in these uh, instances now it was different when Demarcus Lawrence piped up against the Saints. Obviously, Demarcus Lawrence, star player, uh, arguably the best player on that uh, that Cowboys defense. Uh, that's one thing. But it seems like a lot of times it's guys like this. It's just like, dude, what are you doing? Like you're, you're just such a, a small role here in terms of the grand scheme of things here with our team. Why are you the one piping up right now? I, I know because at first when I saw the clip, I was like, who, who is this? Right? Like who is this doing all the talking? Oh, yeah. And, I mean, you just know that kind of went viral in the Cowboys locker room. And so uh, – they are always looking for something to kind of get them riled up and smarked up. This certainly was the 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 lighter to kind of get it going. No question. Uh, anyways, that'll be uh, that'll be a fun one to uh, see how that shapes up. And we're going to get to that game here in a minute. It's a little bit down uh, the list here as we're rolling through all these games and what we're looking forward to uh, watching there. Any other uh, anything else grab your attention here in the NFL over the last few weeks, Buck? I'm just as a Padre fan, I'm just watching all these free agents tick off one by one, and I don't think we're getting any of them. I'll be honest with you. No, but I think the thing that, that came out, like coming off our conversation um, with Chris Rose last week about Kyler Murray, I don't know if you saw the news where Kyler Murray said, you know, I don't, I, I don't know about, I don't know about baseball completely right now. Maybe we're gonna wait and see. We're gonna talk with the family and just kind of see what the NFL is playing out. It sounds like maybe, just maybe, he's kind of keeping his his options open when it comes to football and and the like. And I think he will be a fascinating conversation oh, yeah. and study when we do it because look man when when you kind of open Pandora's box when Baker Mayfield went number one all of the traditional things the norms that we have for what a franchise quarterback should be one that's drafted early it kind of goes out the door when he goes at the top of the charts and then you have an opportunity to see Kyler Murray in the same offense that Baker Mayfield played in and it you look at the numbers and the explosive plays, oh, yeah. you could argue that Kyler Murray has been a more effective and efficient player than Baker Mayfield. So what does that mean in the NFL landscape? I, I just think that conversation would be interesting to have with a bunch of executives when we're talking about it. Yeah, I actually I don't know, just got a text from uh, from our buddy Rich Eisen who said he's, uh, he's interviewing Kyler Murray today. He's going to talk to him, and he was asking me if I've done anything on him, if I've done any work on him. Uh, yet, and uh, it'll be interesting to see what comes out of that interview. I just said, look, I haven't done a whole lot on him. I know he's exciting to watch. He's definitely worth definitely worth him exploring his NFL options, getting the information based on what I've seen. So uh, I haven't done a full workup. I know you haven't either, but, man, just the glimpses that you see. I mean, shoot, you can't say, I mean, you can't just pass it off and say, nah, I can't. No, you can't do that. No, no, no. Like, like that's the thing. Like, the thing, it isn't even about him being a draftable guy. I think the more 
um, the thing that you're trying to figure out is could he be how a first high? round? Yeah. No, could no he be question. a first round guy? And if he's a first round guy, well, well, how high in the first round? Because everyone, all the baseball proponents are like, yeah, but he's walking away from like four million dollars or whatever. And I'm like, you get a lot more four million dollars in the top ten. But it takes going up there. a long time to get to that four million dollars. Like baseball money is definitely longer; it's guaranteed. But man, you have to work so hard to get into the league. Whereas if he comes in as a first round pick as a quarterback, man, you look at the numbers. I mean, I'm not saying that maybe he will exceed what he would have made if he's a top-level baseball player, but that quarterback money is pretty good. And, you know, I mean, I guess I don't, Yeah, on, I don't know. Yeah. Getting the curveball ain't easy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I just think. Be fun. It'll be fun to follow, man. It's it's uh, it's shaping up with uh, with some of the names we're seeing already entering into the draft. I was a little bit surprised, by the way, real quick, on uh, on Stidham coming out. Did I thought I thought he was a candidate to be a grad transfer. You know, because it looked like you definitely tell he's frustrated in that Auburn offense. But I thought he might be kind of a one-for-one. One. Just go go transfer someplace and, and, and have a huge year in, a, in an offense you like. I thought maybe even like a Texas A&M, um, someplace like that. Yeah, you know. And, and tear it up and then you'd not be talking about a top-five pick. You know, it, it's funny when we talk about the quarterback class and, I mean, I don't know if there are any knowns in terms of like right now book it. This is a guy that we would say in any class he would be a transcendent yeah. player, a guy that's worthy of a first-round pick in any of them. Um, I think in this class you're looking for guys who have enough traits, but I feel like this is more of a class where you're reaching for guys to be franchise quarterbacks as opposed to, look, it's organic. These guys are definitely franchise quarterbacks. It doesn't matter who is in the draft. And so with Stidham, I feel like some of these guys are kind of placing their bets, like, look, there's not a, a known guy. I'll take my chances on going through the process at the Senior Bowl because I saw that he's already committed to go to the Senior Bowl. He and Will Greer will be there, uh, go through the combine and then the pro day, and maybe just maybe I'll be able to kind of resurrect my stock, put myself back in a position where I am a day one uh, mm -hmm. consideration as a quarterback. Yeah, I uh, I use this term, and we talk about this a lot in the spring. It, I'm okay with elevation of prospects. I'm not okay with creation of prospects. You know, you, I understand yeah. quarterbacks need to – you can elevate them a little bit, maybe a little bit above their grade, move them up the board a little bit because of the position. That's okay. Just don't create one where there, one doesn't exist. That's the – that's the that's what gets you in trouble. I know. Like, that's <laughs> – that's – that's the tough thing, and everyone – well, I mean, I can't even say everyone. I mean, there would be a handful of teams that are desperate for finding a quarterback, and so whether those teams weigh in and how high are they willing to take those quarterbacks that we can already say, look, when you look at the top ten of this draft, there's not a quarterback that should crack the top, top ten. Uh, if it comes to just a, pal a talent, a production, a performance, what they've done as collegians, there's no one there. So, okay, so now we, we kind of understand that. Where do we kind of – put these guys in because the conversation is also going to swing to Dwayne Haskins. Should Haskins throw his head into the ring? Should he be a guy that is considered a first-round talent? Where does he go? And so there are a lot of uncertainties when it comes to looking at the quarterback position. And so if I'm a team in need of a quarterback and I'm looking around, man, who do I value? How do I how do I slot these guys? How do I put, put them in? Because I don't know if any of these guys are finished products at this point. No doubt. All right, let's uh, let's jump into these NFL games. We'll go one by one as we do each and every week. Let's uh, start off with our guy Cam introducing the game. What we got first? Jets at Bills. All right, I'll take the road team here, Buck. Uh, Sam Donald. I'm excited to see uh, Sam Donald back out on an NFL field. 
you know, we've talked about it a bunch. I don't know how much he has around him there. This offense has struggled mightily uh, without him. Uh, they weren't lighting it on fire with him, but they were playing. Uh, they were competitive in some football games, and he kept them around. So I'm anxious to see having some time to step back and watch and learn uh, how that benefits him as they take on a Buffalo Bills team that does have a good defense, uh, especially uh, impressive secondary there in the back end. So a big challenge for him going on the road and uh, squaring off against another rookie quarterback there in Buffalo who's playing uh, playing pretty well right now. But I'm excited to see Sam Darnold again. Yeah, I'm excited to see both of these quarterbacks. I mean, you can say what you want to about Josh Allen. We said that he wasn't going to be ready right away. But I think he has been more impressive uh, as an athlete than we could have even imagined. I knew we talked about him being able to run around and make plays, and I kind of hinted at the fact that maybe the Buffalo Bills saw him as kind of a Cam Newton-like type player. But he's been that. You look at his rushing yards and the way that he has run around, he's been terrific um, being able to add and enhance their running game. The thing where he has struggled, he still struggled as a passer. He is last in completion percentage, passing yards per game, touchdown to interception ratio, and passer rating among 35, 34 qualified passers. And so he's still a work in progress in that vein. But look, he's made enough plays with his feet to allow them to win some games. Let's just see how he continues to progress this week against Sam Darnold. Giants at Redskins. Giants, Redskins, look, I, the Giants, you know, this is going to be interesting to see because they're 4-8 and eight right now. And the, I think they're going to they could win themselves right out of a top draft pick when you look at their uh, at their schedule here. They get the Redskins in this one, which the Redskins are beat up right now. Uh, Giants are playing better football. I think they've got a chance in this one. Then the Titans, a very winnable game. The Colts, um, that's a, I mean, I know the Colts have been have been hot until last week, but that's still a winnable game. They finish up in a rivalry game at home against the Cowboys. I'm anxious to see uh, what happens with this Giants team, not just in this football game, but coming down the stretch. They, they, do they run the table maybe and go 8-8 eight and eight, uh, and then buy Eli Manning more time? I think that's an interesting storyline to keep Ooh. an eye on here. How do the Giants finish up? This is going to be a big last quarter here in, in terms of what they do with their future at the quarterback position. Ooh, that's a tough one, DJ, because if I'm Pat Shermer, what do I want to happen? That's I what I'm Eli, saying. That's why it's so interesting. From a Giants fan I, standpoint, do they want to win these games to go 8-8 eight and eight or do they want to lose them? I mean, I know. Do I I mean, geez, I don't know if I want that if I'm Shermer, right? Like, I, yeah, it's I gonna be, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's fascinating. I mean, it's, it's, it's a really, I mean, for doing, a team that's 4-8, and eight, they are intriguing to watch here coming down the stretch. And I do believe they're going to get Evan Ingram back here uh, hopefully this week. So uh, they're, they're getting a little bit healthier there on the offensive side. How about this? Eli is having one of the best seasons of his career, DJ. <laughs> no, and that's great. Like this, li- literally, statistically, this is one of the best seasons of his career. Number one in his career in completion percentage because he's at 67.9. Number one in passer rating, 93.7. You mean Eli Manning has never had a passer rating over 100? I think that's shocking that a 14-year vet who is viewed in a certain light by some people has never been over 100. That's crazy. Touchdown to interception ratio is fifth in his career. Yards per attempt, 7.5 is third. And in passing yards per game, this is the fourth best mark of his career, 271.9. And to say all of that, but my eyes tell me Eli Manning can no longer play. Like, think about that. It's interesting. I can't imagine what Pat Shermer is getting because Eli's biggest fans are like, hey, my guy's balling. He's like, well, here's the thing, Eli. Eli. Eli's winning games. He keeps winning games. He's gonna. He's gonna. He's not need to say. Oh, he's, his performance is gonna save his job. 
Well, yeah, not because he, you know, you see what you, you see what you see and think, okay, we can go on. It's they're going to win enough games to be out of the range, probably of the of a quarterback that could upgrade them. Uh, so oh, that's man. what's Eli. Literally, it can go win himself more years. Uh, that's what he's got the opportunity to do here. It's going to be fascinating. What, what's your take on the Redskins? What you're looking forward to uh, from them here? Uh, I mean, the thing about the Redskins, like, what what can Mark Sanchez do? Like. I thought it was stunning. He is a great dude, Gruden. though, by the way. His, I mean, he's he, great. Somebody it's, tried it's to get on dude. about the butt fumble. He's like, really? Come on, man. man it, it, it is what it is. Like, yeah, but what can the Redskins do? Mark Sanchez is going to be limited. They bring in Josh Johnson. He's not going to be able to really grasp this offense. And I think for them, the only way they're going to be able to win is if their defense can play at a light side level and create turnovers. We've seen Eli give teams turnovers in the past. I think the Redskins' only hope is to be able to run the ball with Adrian Peterson, find a way to get some short fields on turnovers, and then maybe Mark Sanchez can make a play or two to push them over the top. Saints at Buccaneers. Well, I'll take the Saints' side of this thing, coming off a really, really disappointing loss where they only put up 10 points against the Dallas Cowboys. How do they do in this one? And you look at on the road, the division games are not easy. I know Tampa's not had a great year, but offensively they can put up a bunch of points. And then you look at weather. It's supposed to be a little wet and wait, a little uh, wet and rainy down there. So a lot has been said about this uh, this team in New Orleans. Okay, they, if they get home field advantage, everything goes through them. That's going to be dangerous. But man, how are they going to do if they have to go on the road and and play in some weather? Well, we get a chance to find out. Yeah, they will get a chance to find out. I think this is continues to be a great audition period for Jameis Winston. Uh, Jameis Winston. I mean, say what you want, like. The last couple of weeks, he kind of looks like the franchise quarterback that they thought he would be. And so he can put uh, management, whoever is going to be at the top of the organization, he can put them in a compromising situation because when you look at him the last couple of weeks, ball has come out. He's been accurate. He's coming off solid games. He hasn't turned the ball over as much, and he's showing the leadership ability on the field that you want. And so I think he must continue to stack good performances on top of one another if he wants to have an opportunity to beat the Bucks QB1 going forward. Ooh, and he's not hot. Patriots at Dolphins. Well, I just don't think the Dolphins are going to be able to score a lot of points. So to me, the Patriots get off to a hot start in this one, see if they put 21 up on the board in the first half, uh, which I think they're fully capable of doing, and I think they can put this one away. Now, I know you can look historically. The Dolphins have played them tough. But I just look at the I just look at the personnel on both these teams right now, and it's I don't see how the Dolphins how they do it here. I know they've they've shown in the past that they are very competitive with this team, um, but they weren't earlier this year in the first meeting, and I don't really see this one being competitive either. Yeah, I mean this is tough, man, because I the Dolphins do nothing for me when I watch them. Like they're fine, they have a couple good players. You know, I like kind of seeing Kenyon Drake. I have a great appreciation for Frank Gore. Uh, Kenny Stills makes plays on the outside. Then defensively, you still are fascinated by, like, Cam Wake, and I want to see what Minka Fitzpatrick is going to do. But I just don't see this team as, like, an upper-level team. And so for me to think about them knocking off the Patriots when the Patriots know that they can clinch the division, man, I just think it's going to be hard for them to do. I think the Patriots are focused. I think they find a way to knock them out. Ravens at Chiefs. Ravens-Chiefs, this to me is the game I'm looking forward to more than any other in this entire week because the Ravens' defense, Buck, they've just been choking people out. I mean, the way that they are suffocating teams uh, on the perimeter with their press coverage, uh, with their aggressiveness. You look at Terrell Suggs and company up front, they roll a lot of guys through there. Uh, They're dominating the line of scrimmage. I mean, what they did to the Falcons' offense last week – 
it was pretty telling. And now they step up in class, no doubt, going against this Chiefs offense as good as any. Uh, but this Baltimore Ravens team, uh, to me, it's going to be the best test we've seen thus far for this Chiefs offense, and I cannot wait to see how they do. Yeah, I mean, it it is it is a man, it is a tough test. But I mean, I'm I'm excited uh, to watch this overall. When I look at Kansas City, their offense is terrific. Kansas City with Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, both guys have gone over a thousand yards. They are very very impressive in the passing game. Pat Mahomes is obviously playing at an MVP level. But then the entry comes on. What are they going to do at running back? You have Spencer Ware. You sign. Chuck Hendrick West, uh, you have some other guys in the backfield that are playing a role. Um, but Kareem Hunt was such a dynamic player for them. So I think the biggest thing for me is, is it the system or was it the player? Is it Andy Reid's system that allows these running backs to chew and gobble up all these yards? Or was Kareem Hunt a special player? Uh, that's one of the things that I'm looking for, and this is a tough challenge against a defense that is number one and does a great job of choking you out. Colts at Texans. I'm just looking forward more than anything else seeing a great football game, which we saw the first time uh, these two divisional teams squared off in that game where Frank Reich uh, went for it on fourth down and ended up costing them a victory, or I should say cost them a tie uh, in that game. But Colts, I, look, last week I just thought that was kind of an aberration. They didn't show up, uh, f- face a Jaguars team that the defense finally stepped up and, and shut the Colts out. That's not going to happen in this one, even as good as a Texans defense is. Um, I think the Colts end up having a big offensive day. I think they've got a shot in this one. Uh, and I think Andrew Luck has a big day. I think this could be uh, could end up being a little bit of a shootout here just because when I look on the outside, I, I think the Colts are going to be able to find some matchups that they like, and I think you could flip it around the other side, and I think I could say the same thing about the Texans. So high-scoring affair, what, shoot, what was the score the first time they played? It was in the 30s, yeah, 37-34. Uh, I could see a similar type of affair in this one. Yeah, I think it does have the makings of a shootout. And I think if it's going to be a shootout, the Texans will have to find a way to unleash Deshaun Watson. What's interesting about the last handful of games, seven games, he's had, what, 25 or fewer pass attempts uh, in a row. They've been able to increasingly rely on the running game. Lamar Miller's been able to break off big runs, make plays. And when they get this running game going, they're going to run the outside stretch. When they get that outside stretch play working, it allows them to set up the things off play action. Um, against the Colts team where you have to be mindful of where Darius Leonard is at all times. Um, I think they can have a little success, and then it's a matter of finding a way to pop a shot down the field. DeAndre Hopkins, Demarius Thomas, both of those guys have made plays in the passing game. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing what they can create on offense against a tough and gritty uh, Colts defense. Falcons at Packers. Well, I look at the Falcons' standpoint, man, it's it's tough to be fired up about what you saw last week, as I mentioned a little bit earlier about their performance against the Baltimore Ravens. And when you look at this game specifically, I'm telling you, the, the matchup I'm looking forward to is you look at the receivers for the Falcons going up against some young, talented DBs from the Green Bay Packers, specifically Jair Alexander, who's one of my favorites in this rookie class. I, I'm looking forward to seeing maybe we get a little Calvin Ridley, Jair Alexander matchup, a little rookie on rookie. Uh, looking forward to watching that. I just – Man, I don't have a lot of confidence in either one of these teams based on what we've seen. You don't have a lot of confidence. Why don't you have a lot of confidence? Why I don't you have a lot of confidence in, in a Packers team that lost against an Arizona Cardinals team that I saw firsthand the week before that was awful. And then I don't have a lot of confidence in a Falcons team who's sitting at 4-8 and eight and laid a complete egg against the Baltimore Ravens, <laughs> and they've lost four games in a row. Did <laughs> I need to be more specific there, Buck? <laughs> yeah, I get it. You know, like, with like God. The, the Packers are so bad, and I know Joe Philbin's going to try and clean it up. He's auditioning for four games to try and get it right. 
But, I mean, you can say the same issues with the Atlanta Falcons. I mean, the Falcons uh, have injuries. You have Steve Sarkeesian still trying to figure out this offense. Defensively, they've been um, up and down. Uh, coverage hasn't always matched the rush. And when that doesn't work together, they have a tough time keeping the ball in front. Um, I think this is a game where we talk about playing for pride. There's a lot of pride on the line because they're guys who want to keep their jobs, specifically some of these coaches. So let's see what a chess match looks like. But it's not a marquee game that I'm super excited about because these are two teams that I thought had the opportunity to vie for the Super Bowl. And I'm really sad that neither one of these teams are really in contention. Oh, and he's not hot. Panthers at Browns. Well, um, look, let's just let's keep it pretty simple here. Miser on Cam Newton. Uh, can he rebound? Coming off a four-interception performance, one of the worst games probably in his NFL career. And this is a team that's been on the slide. Lost four games in a row. You're seeing position coaches get fired. Um, you've got a new owner there in Carolina. They need to show something here down the stretch in these last four games. I think Ron Rivera, it's going to be huge for him. Now, I, I'm a big fan of Coach Rivera. I think he uh, he's proven uh, his chops here at the NFL level. He's done it for a long time, and I think it would be a mistake uh, to move on from from him after this year. But, man, Buck, if they don't get this thing turned around, coming off four straight losses with four games to go, starting with this game right here with the Cleveland Browns, I think that'll be curtains. Yeah, it could be curtains. And the thing that puts him even in more jeopardy is he's decided to take over as the defensive play caller. And I get it. He had a new play caller in Eric Washington, a guy who was a D-line coach. And he's going to try and tie it together, you know, the marriage between the pass rush and the coverage. But I think the challenge is you're dealing with a Cleveland team that didn't play well against the Houston Texans early, found their stride late. You're dealing with a Baker Mayfield guy who wants to get back on track, had two or three interceptions in the game in the first half, didn't necessarily play to the standard. I think he wants to attack this Panthers defense, and I just don't know if the Panthers are good enough to match the Browns receivers. I think this could be a surprising result. I mean, I think the Browns could put their point, put a bunch of points up, and I think their defense can get after an injured Cam Newton. Look for the Browns maybe to walk away with a surprise. Broncos at 49ers. Now, look, the Broncos coming off three huge wins, all kinds of momentum. But, man, I hate to see what happened to them from an injury standpoint this week in practice when you lose an Emmanuel Sanders. Uh, Chris Harris is going to be out with the injury he'd suffered. Uh, those are two huge losses. You can say arguably the best player and their wide receiving core best player. Um, in their secondary. So, man, just just brutal. And I think this is a dangerous game for them because you go on the road against the 49ers team with Shanahan, um, even with some of the injuries they have, they're, they're, they're a little dangerous laying in the weeds there. I just – this Broncos team, it was set up for them kind of to run the table till they get to that last game of rematch with the Chargers. Uh, when I look at their schedule, though, and I look at the injuries they've suffered, uh, they better be careful in this one. You better protect the football. Case Keenum's done a better job of that. Um, but they need to be careful in this one. Yeah, they have to be uh, careful because the 49ers are a team that they don't have anything to lose. And Kyle Shanahan is still trying to build his team. And, look, he's been hurt, hasn't got the consistent quarterback play that he would like. Nick Mullins was nice for a week, but then the rest of the league quickly caught up to him. And so offensively, they're still kind of sputtering. Uh, defensively is where I'm really concerned about the Niners because all of the capital, their draft capital, has been committed on that side of the ball. And that side of the ball hasn't necessarily been performing. I want to see their young defensive line guys. I want to see Armstead. Um, I want to see Buckner. I want to see Thomas. I want to see all those guys that are playing, those young guys that are in the mix. I want to see them step up uh, and show out a little bit because you need to get a solid assessment of where you are as a franchise and what holes need to be fixed. Um, 
the secondary with Richard Sherman and some of the other guys, they just haven't played well. I want to see this defense step up and just play well. Bengals at Chargers. Well, look, you talk about injuries. Uh, you got to talk about the Bengals losing their starting quarterback uh, a couple weeks ago. Now you lose your, your no question, number one weapon there in A.J. Green. Going on the road, take on the Chargers to me. Uh, I'm looking forward for them. They, they've got to come out and establish the run and run the football with Joe Mixon and take some pressure off of Jeff Driscoll. If they get in a position where they're not getting any yardage on first down and they find themselves in third and long with Joey Bosa coming on, uh, they're going to be in trouble. So to me, it's it's going to be key for them to crank up that run game, not only to take some of the pressure off Jeff Driscoll, but uh, look, they're 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 fighting an uphill battle talent wise in this matchup. So if you can if you can run the ball, run the clock, shorten the game, I think that's their best recipe. Yeah, that is their best recipe. And for the charge, I think this is another maturity game. Are they mature enough to come out and just handle business, knock them out right away? have an impressive first quarter, get to the lead so you can let Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa hunt off the edge. If they do that, I think they will have complete control of the game, and it would be an easy Sunday for them. But if not, look, the Bengals have been able to snatch people up at the end of year in previous seasons. You just don't want to get in that kind of affair with them. I think the Chargers need to really focus on having a fast start because the rest will take care of itself. Lions at Cardinals. I feel like I'm going to say the same thing about the Lions that I said about uh, the Carolina Panthers. Now, understanding full well that Ron Rivera obviously been in Carolina for a lot longer than Matt Patricia has been uh, with the Lions. But when I look at a team, 4-8 and eight right now, uh, in the cellar there in their division, and they go on the road following two losses to the Bears and the Rams, no shame in that, two great football teams. But now you've got two road games at Cardinals, at the Bills, two teams that theoretically – uh, you should win Done. at this point in time in their yeah. development. And if you go lose both those games, Buck, I, I don't know that we don't see a one-and-done here coming down the stretch. This team ends up, you know, 5-11, and 4-12. Uh, and 12. Who knows what will happen in Detroit. Uh, but, man, I, I, I think this is definitely one. You're feeling some pressure if you're Matt Patricia. You can't go uh, lose this game to the Arizona Cardinals. No, you can't do that. But I think Matt Patricia, I think – one, if they get rid of Matt Patricia, they have to also get rid of Quinn because they're tied at the hip. And no, so I think that I think this would be tied at the hip. This is an, this would be an epic failure if they're not able to kind of get some wins down the stretch because this was a team last year that was nine and seven, a team that was expected to be better. They wanted better, they wanted more, and it hasn't turned out that way. And your quarterback doesn't look great. Um, this is tough for the Cardinals. I mean, look. Steve Wilson, everyone, they're fighting for their lives. They're fighting for their jobs. They're trying to keep it going. You're trying to build upon the momentum created a week ago. Um, yeah, we were just talking about the same thing that. about Steve Wilkes that we're talking about here with Matt Patricia. Is he going to be one and done coming off that loss against the Chargers where they were terrible and, and some, you know, the, the Q word was thrown out there. You know, did this team quit? Uh, then they come around and showed you that uh, absolutely not the case. They go on the road and beat Green Bay. So, uh, one win can do wonders for you, and I think uh, the Cardinals, if they put another one on top of that last one, Buck, uh, man, you've got some 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 good old mo going in your direction. You got, here as you, you got as some you positive momentum, but man, it's tough. Christian Kirk went on IR. We'll just see who Josh Rosen has left to throw to. Oh, and he's not hot. Steelers at Raiders. Well, this might be just what the Pittsburgh Steelers needed after uh, kind of an exhausting loss. In that game against the Chargers, they blew a big lead. The the only time that's happened in team history, they've blown a lead uh, 16 points at home. 
But the Raiders usually cure what ails you. Uh, you go on the road even without James Conner. Uh, I think they'll be just fine. I just can't see the Raiders generating enough pass rush. And if you can't generate a pass rush against Ben Roethlisberger and all those weapons, uh, they're going to score early and often. I think that's what happens in this one. Yeah, I expect something similar to happen. I think the big thing for the Steelers, they got to figure out who they are going to the playoffs. I know they can't continue to win games if it's all Ben Roethlisberger and they're not running the football. I'm not saying that it has to be 50-50, but they can't have these games where they have – 45 to 50 pass attempts and only at like less than 20 rushing attempts. You can't win games like that, especially against good teams. Uh, for the Raiders, you're trying to find which players you want to take into 2019, which players can step up. Uh, we've seen some nice things happen from Jared Cook in the passing game. He, he's been fine. We've seen Doug Martin kind of make some plays in the run game. But what else do they have? What else can you hang your hat on if you're an Oakland Raiders executive? Who are the guys that we want to form our nucleus? That's what you're trying to identify in these games that are uh, coming down the stretch. Eagles at Cowboys. Well, to me, this starts with, with limiting big plays if you're the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, they've had their injuries on uh, on the defensive side of the ball. But look, you watch that game against the Redskins, and the Redskins, all kinds of injuries. You knew that, uh, that they were in trouble. But then you see a 90-plus-yard touchdown run. Uh, that you give up, that just that can't happen uh, with Adrian Peterson. You saw it last week. Now you've got to worry about Zeke Elliott and Amari Cooper. Uh, they've got to do a better job of limiting those big plays, no matter who's on the defensive side of the ball. That's going to be a key in this one. Yeah, it's going to be key. They've got to be able to kind of slow down and contain this Cowboys offense. It has been ex- explosive, but it's been more effective since Amari Cooper has come over. Uh, I think the thing that stood out to everyone who watched the game on Thursday night was the defense. Front seven-wise, they have as much talent as anybody in football. And then with Jalen Smith and Leighton Van Der Esch, uh, those guys being able to kind of run around and control everything from sideline to sideline, this defense looks like a nightmare. And so it's tough. I think for the Cowboys, now that uh, backup linebackers kind of poked the bear a little bit, I think they will get their full attention. I'm looking for the Cowboys to have a very, very impressive game on Sunday. Rams at Bears. Well, this to me is just about physicality with the Rams. Can you match the physicality of the Chicago Bears, specifically that front, that front seven you're going to be dealing with? Now, I think the Rams have one of the better offensive lines in the NFL, and this is a chance for them to show it. To me, this is where the focus is. Um, you come out against the Bears and you want to throw it around a little bit, I get it. That's that's fine. You can start throwing the football, but eventually this game is going to settle in and you're going to have to win the line of scrimmage in the run game, and that's where I want to see uh, this Rams offensive line step up to a big challenge on the road. Yeah, I think this is the biggest test for the Rams thus far, and the reason it's the biggest challenge is because they're going on the road, they're playing a team with a legit defense, and they have a monster off the edge in Khalil Mack. Um, it'll be tough for them. I think for the Bears, Mitch Trubisky comes back, and if they really want to be viewed as a team that really has Super Bowl aspirations, need to see the quarterback play well. For so much of, most of the season, Matt Nagy has called the game around the quarterback, not through him. This is a game where if Mitchell Trubisky is what they think he can be and will be, he needs to step up and take a huge step in his development this weekend. Vikings at Seahawks. Oh, this is going to be a fun one. Uh, this Vikings team offensively, to me, finish drives. you got to be able to finish drives up there against the Seahawks because the Seahawks are going to run the football uh, they can chew up the clock. They can hold, maintain possession. So you've got to maximize your possessions. No field goals here for the Minnesota Vikings. We know about the field goal troubles they've had uh, over the last couple years. To me, it is finishing drives. When you get opportunities, uh, sevens, not threes, that'll be huge. Uh, going on the road against the Seahawks team, that is very tough to play in that building. Yeah, it's a very, very tough play. 
um, it's tough to get there. And I think for Seattle, Seattle is looking like the vintage Seattle Seahawks, the team from 2012, a team that many didn't think much of, but they kind of found their stride. And I think each week they get more and more confidence in who they are and how they go about playing. You talked about the running game and being physical and establishing the line of scrimmage. They run the ball like no other. They have a three-headed monster in the backfield that they've had success. And then Russell Wilson um, has been efficient and effective. And even though they've kind of reduced the amount of throws that he's throwing per game, he still has the opportunity to go for these big games, these 300-yard games like we saw against the Carolina Panthers. Um, for Seattle, man, it's just staying true to who they are. If they do that, I think they can take the Vikings into the deep stages of the fourth quarter, and they may be right there to steal it at the end. All right, Bucky, let's not wait any longer. Uh, let's bring in one of our favorites because not only we love uh, Brady Quinn as a dude, but just the experience he brings, not only from a playing background, but what he's done now is he's crossed over in the media, working both in the college football realm as well as the NFL realm and, and uh, having an affinity for the draft as well. He's, he's fun to talk to. So Brady joined us now. Brady, what's up, man? Not much, guys. Thanks so much for having me on. Obviously, I always enjoy uh, your podcast, enjoy listening to your guys' insights and everything, and you guys kind of always taking us into a different world, uh, given your background. Well, we appreciate it. We love having you on, man. First question from me, uh, and then I'll get, get Bucky in here, but first question from me, just overall a takeaway, give you a big picture here, college football season as we've wrapped up the regular season. Um, you know, what was, your, uh, what was your biggest takeaway, your biggest impression from what you saw in all the games you called this year? Yeah, I think when you look at pretty much, I mean, this is probably stating the obvious, um, but I don't know that the quarterback position has ever been as important as it is now to a team's success and a team's ability to be able to play for a national championship or at least a conference championship. I think you look at the teams that are playing for the college football or playing in the college football playoff, and you're going down the line and saying, whether it's Tua Tonga-Vailoa, who's going to up for the Heisman, may very well win it, next to Kyler Murray as those two score off in the semifinal game. You know, I think Trevor Lawrence and just uh, Clemson deciding to go with the true freshman, what he brings to that team, and really not just this year, but their future there. And then obviously in book, uh, Notre Dame's in the playoff as well, and you look at the fact that they made that change in the beginning of the season and what a spark it created for their offense and really ultimately I think led this team to be a 12-0 team because I think if they would have lost the game, they probably wouldn't have made it in. Um, so right now, as you kind of look at the state of college football, because of the spread offenses, because of everything um, that's being put in the quarterback's hands, uh, it, it, there's never been a more critical or crucial time for a team to make sure they have stellar quarterback play if they want to compete. You know, Brady, what's interesting about your assessment on the quarterbacks and their impact on the game, a bunch of those quarterbacks that you listed are all young guys. Are you surprised that we're seeing so many young quarterbacks have success right out of high school, being able to kind of jump in an offense in a year or two and make a, a, a huge impact on their respective squads? Uh, no, for two reasons. I think the private quarterback training business, uh, for better or worse, has become very prevalent at the high school level, even junior high level. I mean, these kids are starting young, and they're starting to come in with a higher football IQ uh, from a lot of their training in the offseason, uh, specializing in that. And I think mechanically, for the most part, and fundamentally – a lot of these guys are, are ready to play. You know, there's not as many flaws as I think you might have seen, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. So it starts there. And then I think the other thing is, you know, that the college level uh, has had this, these spread offenses for quite some time, but they've, in my opinion, adapted to what we saw at the high school level. I mean, a lot of these high schools have been running spread, you know, formations and spread offenses for, for quite some time. And, and then it's, it's slowly matriculated up to the college football level. 
And now it's, you know, found its way into the NFL to some degree and fashion. So I think because of that, especially for, you know, for example, a kid like JT Daniels, true freshman start at the USC, he was running a very similar system at modern day and then going at the USC, doing a lot of things that he was asked to do at the high school level, uh, given what Clay Helton and, and formerly their OC, T. Martin, were asking to do at the college level. So I think the transition has become easier for that reason, too. I want to jump into uh, some of these specific quarterbacks that we could see jumping into the NFL draft. I know you've had a chance to to call a few Ohio State games this year. Now, this is one i got to do a lot more work on. I just watched him a little bit early in the year, and uh, I thought, okay, he's, he's a good player. Then, man, he caught fire down the stretch. I have not watched those tapes yet. But uh, Dwayne Haskins, uh, Brady, what A, what do they say about him uh, when you meet with the coaching staff there? And then also uh, just your take on uh, watching him live. Yeah, so you know, he's got a kind of a quiet presence about him. He, he's not the type of guy like JT Barrett, for example, who um, it seemed like played at Ohio State forever. Uh, but, you know, he was the guy who was going to get up in front of this team and give you one of those raw, raw you know, pep speeches and really not only lead by example, would be there vocally. And I think Dwayne, given his first year starting uh, and, and obviously much younger, you know, that just wasn't him. And I think as the season went along, he started to to kind of, you know, take over that role a little bit. So, um, you know, I'll be, I'll be curious to see whether or not he decides to go to the NFL or come back, and that's something we can talk about, uh, how much more he matures, how much more comfortable he feels like being that more vocal leader, like you kind of have to be at times as a quarterback. Uh, but in regards to their offense, you know, speaking with Ryan Day and Urban Meyer about Dwayne Haskins, they really felt like he kind of came in, again, another guy with a high football IQ, who was ready to play, I don't want to say almost immediately, but I think we can go back to last year, the way he played in spot work versus Michigan. Big-time game on the road, and he really uplifted that team and gave them a chance to beat Michigan last year. He was really the reason. So uh, coming into this year, I think you had a pretty good sense of, of what you are going to see uh, from him taking over command of an offense that was uh, pretty pass-happy. But, you know, strong arm can make all of the throws. I think like any quarterback, when he would get hit, when he get knocked around or knocked off his spot or have to move off his spot, he become less accurate. wouldn't make as good of decisions. Uh, but again, remember this is the, this is this guy's first year starting. So I think there's there's a high ceiling. I think he's he's already proven he's got a pretty high floor based on what he's done. Uh, but but that'll be one knock against them. And I think the other knock is they have such a plethora of talent at the wide receiver position. There are sometimes you know he made some easy throws that turned into touchdowns and. Like that's a product of the offense. That's a product of you know the job that Urban Meyer and the guys did recruiting. So uh, I don't know that that should so much be a knock for him. And, and DJ, I don't know how you felt about when you played the quarterback position, but people take for granted how hard it is sometimes to throw a shallow cross route back to your left, especially for a righty, you know, out in front with perfect placement. So it is a catch and run football for a guy like Paris Campbell, for example. It's not the easiest throw, even though it may only be five yards downfield. Uh, but anyway, I thought he operated the system almost flawlessly, and he's got a, a ton of talent, a ton of ability. Well, I'm glad I'm glad you mentioned that about how difficult that is, because I, I, I'm curious to see what you would say to this answer. Because when I, you get asked, you, you play the position, what's the uh, what's the most difficult throw? What throw did you struggle with? It's almost like uh, being a basketball player. There's certain spots on the floor where some guys can't shoot. I'll tell you what, dude. I on I hated throwing swing screens. I could not throw a swing a swing screen. Unless I was fading away, I couldn't throw it flat-footed. So even I take a snap, I had to fade away to be able to get kind of that comfortable trajectory to be able to, to loft the ball out there. Uh, what what throw? What was your favorite throw as a quarterback, and what throw gave you the most trouble? 
Love throwing the seams. Love four verts, throwing those seams. Um, I just, it didn't matter left, right. Uh, I just felt like I always had a good feel for it in college. It was something that I felt like I had a good feel for anticipating at the NFL level. Um, so that was one of my favorite things. Um, you know, throws that I always felt like I struggle with, and I feel like this is probably a lot of right-handed quarterbacks is, you know, any really outbreaking to the left, uh, but in particular, you know, more of like the 18-yard comeback, things like that, mm-hmm. where there's an element of timing involved, um, but you're also kind of throwing to a spot, uh, but you want to put it obviously outside enough, uh, but, but at the right, you know, pace, you know, so, he, so he's able to come out of his cut and able to run to the football, um, you know, that sort of throw. I, I felt like sometimes, too, you know, when you get those deep post routes, especially those where, you know, you're going more right to left. So coming from your right side, working across mm-hmm. the field, I felt like I always had a tendency to throw more upfield instead of across the field uh, on some of those shots downfield. And that was one where, you know, again, it's, it's all about just positioning your body, anticipating where really he could run to. Uh, and then, in fact, you know, you know, the fact that you're going to have more of a, a clockwise rotation on the ball. So the ball is going to tend to sometimes kind of fade that way as it comes down uh, towards the wide receiver. So those were kind of the, the two throws that I always felt like I was always working on the offseason or working on throughout the course of the week. You know, Brady, in, in saying that, because you obviously know the challenge that quarterbacks have in making certain throws, are there certain throws that you look for quarterbacks to make on tape? They kind of are like the throws that you're like, oh, yeah, okay, I feel good about them now when I've seen them make this throw. What is that throw for you? Yeah, I think there's there's a variety of them. Um, for starters, it's got to be in the vertical passing game, seems like I kind of mentioned, but also like hole shots and then just downfield shots in general. You know, what, what type of deep ball does he throw on just a basic go route? I want to see if he's able to, you know, drop it in the bucket, either be out in front or to the outside shoulder of the wide receiver uh, away from the defender. And then, you know, as far as the seam balls, to me it – kind of tells a lot that and really uh, that skinny post, which is attacking the same part of the field, the seams of the defense, especially in post high coverage. But if a guy can drop back and throw a skinny post out in front on rhythm, especially if the right hander from his right side, so the wide receiver moving right to left, that'll tell you a ton right there. I used to joke with Kyle Orton when we were in Denver, uh, we would come in the off season and we would literally, you know, one of the first routes we'd throw to kind of see where we're at was just a bang eight, uh, from under center, five-step drop, plant, throw, and on time and rhythm. And if you could hit that the first few, let's say three in the row, coming right to left uh, from your right-hand side, you knew that you were going to have a pretty good throwing day. Like everything was kind of working in sync, and, and that was always one of the tougher tested you know, throws. Uh, but but those, those throws I look for initially, and then it's more of just, you know, the anticipatory throws, right? So the ones throwing into zone coverage into windows. You know, is he able to hit that deep dig route, depending on their offense, how many they even throw in between the backers or able to kind of get it up and down over a defender sometimes. Uh, and then I also, again, I look for the intermediate throws that, you know, they exist more at the NFL level than they do at the college level. So when you do look for those comebacks, those deep outs, bow routes, um, however you want to call them, uh, especially to the outside, a lot of throws to the outside, uh, those are the things that I'm really looking for to try to evaluate and grade a quarterback um, at least more intermediate down the field throws. And then finally, probably with a shallow cross, just the ball placement on a lot of those routes running underneath the mesh routes and those concepts that you're going to have. Uh, but anything under 10 yards where the ball is placed, is it, you know, right out in front where he can catch it and keep running with the football? Is he bodying him up to protect him from a defender or maybe putting it on his back shoulder to protect him from something? Um, just those are sort of the things that I'm looking for, at least as you kind of work deep 
to intermediate, and then to shallow. A lot to unpack there real quick. Uh, first of all, uh, that's what you just hit on is huge because when you're evaluating, it's it's placement. It's not it's not completion percentage. Some people get carried away with that. Oh, he's accurate. Look at his completion percentage. No, no, no. It, it's about ball placement. Where is it? Is it on the upfield shoulder? Can they run after the catch? Uh, then you talked about those over-under throws, which I love the term. I don't know why it took me so long, but I just heard, I heard it over the last maybe 18 months, two years or so, uh, was layering. I, I love that because it perfectly describes being able to layer the football um, showing you that touch to kind of get over that second level under the third level. Uh, that's outstanding. And then Kyle Orton, who you mentioned, two things on Kyle Orton. A, worst haircut in the NFL at the quarterback <laughs> position for quite some time. Uh, and number two, uh, when I was in Baltimore when he was coming out and Neuheisel was our quarterback coach, and he went and met with a lot of the, the guys we were interested in and came back, and Kyle Orton was, without question, his favorite dude. He loved Kyle Orton. Uh, just must have had – you obviously know him a lot better than I did. Must have had just a great personality, but what a god-awful haircut. <laughs> yeah, it was almost like you just put him in the barber's chair and they put a bull on his head and they just spun him around, you know, <laughs> and they just kind of cut it like there's a bull of super on top of his head. But he is uh, – he's one of the best. He was one of those guys who was not bashful, um, you know, kid from Iowa. So he just kind of spoke his mind and – Sometimes that rubbed people the wrong way. I think his, his first year in Denver, it might have rubbed people the wrong way, way there, but they got off to that 6-0 start. They beat our butts when I was with the Cleveland Browns. We went out there, um, and, and you just kind of kind of – you just watched him, how he conducted himself. But he was a guy that, you know, could make all the throws. Ball placement was huge. He was, he was really a technician on his lower body and, you know, what he wanted to do from his feet. Um, and really it was his upper body mechanics. It was pretty compact. But when you, when you mentioned layering to me – it, it almost immediately brings to mind Kyle. Like, I think he was one of the more talented passers that I ever saw. I got to see him a lot. Uh, but he really could get that ball up and drop it back down. And that was something that, you know, working with David Lee, who's longtime quarterback coach in the NFL, he's got a drill where he would set up one of those quarterback nets that you throw into, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone sees the three different holes you throw into. He would take and he'd set it up at about 15, 16 yards. And he would say, all right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to drop back seven steps, play action pass, turn your back to the defense. You're going to turn it back around, get your eyes back to where you need to. And I want you to get that ball up and back down and hitting that receiver about 20 yards, because that's wow. about the, the you know, uh, height that a defender should be able to jump to and reach to. And you, so you'd have this net standing about, I don't know, nine feet tall pretty much. And you had to put that ball with pace and arc, but then be able to drop it down with that four yards of cushion to the wide receiver and it was, it was a fun drill, but I also think they kind of honed in on that habit. I love that. Uh, real quick here, why we're still friends, I figure I'll do this, uh, run this audio <laughs> here. And we might not be friends after this, Brady. Uh -huh. um, but yeah. but they've, uh, they, they've set me up here because they've clipped off something when me and Bucky uh, were talking about these playoff matchups. And mm -hmm. uh, here's my thoughts on uh, what could happen there between uh, Notre Dame and Clemson. We'll roll that, and I'll get your response. Clemson hasn't played anybody outside of Texas A&M. Look, no disrespect to the ACC. I love ACC ball, but they didn't face a challenge this year. How are they going to respond when they get hit in the face for the first time? I just want to see if they can get up off the mat and fight back. We'll see. Chicken or steak? What do you want to put on that? Chicken or steak? I'm happy to go either one. I'll give you ten. <laughs> oh, let, come on, no, let's go, let's let's go. Oh, I get ten points too. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. Let me, you want oh, ten and steak. a half? I feel let's I'm feeling steak. generous. I'll give you ten and a half. Oh man, man, be careful. There you go, Brady. What, uh, what are your thoughts there? What, what, what am I, <laughs> I, I assume that was in regards to this semifinal game we got coming up. Uh, I really appreciate your, your, your confidence in, uh, in, the, in the fight. Hours. Bucky, you're my guy. I, I hope. I, look, I, I hope what happens is what basically has happened this entire year. 
People have constantly underestimated this team. Look, I'm guilty of it too. Before the season, I thought nine wins would be a good season for them with their schedule. And as the season went along, especially after they beat Michigan, I I realized, one, how much – it's almost like in basketball now, in in college basketball, we don't get to see many teams grow and actually develop and mature as a group. Uh, But this defense has for Notre Dame. And I think they have surprised people with how sound and fundamental they are, how good they are playing together. Their defensive front is better than people think. Uh, and they're going to give Clemson some issues, I think, uh, if they can, especially if they can stop the run. If they can stop the run, put it all on Trevor Lawrence, I like Notre Dame's chances. Ian Book's uh, mobility is going to become a big-time factor. He's going to have to play tough because that's this is probably the best defensive front they're going to face with the exception of maybe Michigan. Um, so, you know, I, I think when you look at it, they're going to have to be able to run the football. They're going to have to be able to make some contested catches and big plays because they're not going to run by the Clemson secondary. But they do have the size advantage. So, look, I, I give the Fighting Irish a fighting chance. Uh, I, I think they've overachieved this year, and I think they're going to surprise a lot of people in the semifinal game too. Well, look, that, yeah, look, Brady, see, see, I'm all about that. Come look, on. You, and Bucky, you, you and Bucky might be best friends, but we're still we're still friends. If nothing else, acquaintances uh, is where no, we are here, right Here's now. the thing is, I, I know you guys do your homework, so I always respect your opinions. Um, so I, anytime you guys say something, like I, I never, even if it was about me or about you know my alma mater, I, I never take any disrespect because I know you guys are well-researched. You guys watch the tape. You evaluate it. So, uh, I, look, I, I've got nothing but respect. Oh, I'm all about it. Like, uh, Brady, don't do that. Like, look, go all in. Like, tell them. I've told you, Jay, I think, I think Notre Dame is going to beat them up. I really think they're going to beat them hey, up. Hey, Buck, what's, and the, name I'm excited to what's see the name it? of the high school you coach at? What's the name of your high school you coach at, Buck? I coach at, I coach at Notre Dame. And, in fact, look, oh, I may be go. a little biased towards Notre Dame. I coach at a Notre Dame in Sherman Oaks, L.A. And in 2012, we played in Ireland ahead of Notre Dame playing Navy in the Shamrock Series. Wow. So wow. Brian Kelly, yeah, Brian Kelly and I, like, we're, we're, we're fast buddies. I dig it. I dig it. <laughs> Wait, right, so, Bucky, uh, what hey, team went over there to play you guys? We played a team from Arizona called Hamilton. They've been, like, a three-time okay. state champion. So, it was – there were uh, Is that where Suggs four, went, Hamilton? I don't know if Suggs went there. Maybe. But they were, like um, – Brady, there were like eight games that they played on a Friday and Saturday before Notre Dame played like that Saturday in this huge stadium. And it was Suggs cool went to Hamilton, we, by the way. That is correct. I'm not crazy. Oh, he did go to Hamilton? Wow. Yes. That's impressive. cool. He can take that L that we gave him too, though. So <laughs> we, um, we, played, we played ahead of them, and then we got a chance to watch them play. And I can tell you, man, it's crazy to like watch a Notre Dame game in Ireland with all the fans and all the stuff or whatever. The pageantry and all the stuff—it was—it was nuts. I can't imagine being a Notre Dame player. Well, and that's the thing is, you kind of realize that you've got this this national recognition, but really extends internationally. I didn't realize it until I went to Rome for the first time. And at this point, I'm already a Browns quarterback. I'm, I'm traveling over there with my my brother-in-law AJ Hawk, and then a guy named Doug Dadish who played at Ohio State and played in the league for a while too. And by the way, like we stuck out like a sore thumb because of how big we were walking around <laughs> Rome. I think people thought we were gladiators. And then the worst part is, like, I at least try to dress a little nicer because over there, like, people dress up. Like, like they look good whether it's, like, 9 a.m. or, you know, 7 p.m. or whatever time of the day. Like, people actually dress really nice. But those two were, like, all straight Under Armour the whole time. They've got all this long hair coming out of these backwards hats they're wearing. So, uh, unfortunately, we got, we got recognized. The people would always come up, and they wouldn't say, you know, Cleveland Browns, et cetera. They'd always recognize, recognize me as a Notre Dame quarterback. I got to ask you last thing, and I'll let you run. Uh, thank you so much for your uh, for your time here, being generous with us this morning. But uh, 
as a Notre Dame quarterback, obviously you've mentioned you recognize all over the planet, but I have to believe you've got a story about something that you were given from a fan that they sent you, or maybe you're out somewhere and, and somebody, it's got to be better even than just comp the meal, but there's, what's like the craziest thing that came with being the Notre Dame quarterback? Could be while you were there or after you left. Oh, wow. Um, that's a tough question, let me think. That's a tough question. I mean, like you, know, you go into a restaurant, at some point in time, there's some Irish guy that owns a restaurant that sees you, recognizes you, and goes, you're not paying for your dinner. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to, to be honest, like there, there's, there's, there's a lot of that when you, when you get out and you're actually able to accept that and all that. There's, there's a lot of that with Notre Dame fans or people who grew up, uh, especially those who are Catholic and all that. Uh, I'm just, I'm trying to think of like the most unique one for you. Like when you started, you know, when you started asking that question, my mind wandered to my, my junior year. We, so for people who don't know, we, we used to do that. I don't know that Notre Dame does this anymore, but typically you go to mass before the game. So about mm-hmm. four hours before the game, you go in, you, you go through a somewhat expedited mass. And then we walk from the Basilica, which is the church all the way um, through this path to the stadium. And I just remember as like things started to build that junior year, we were playing Tennessee that day. And we're, and, and like, it was lined up layered all the way from the church to the stadium. There's people everywhere. You're stopping, saying hi to people, signing autographs, et cetera. Well, uh, the game plan for that week was Tennessee. They were a, a front-running team. If we could jump out on them, they'll, they'll fold. And they, they weren't going to want anything in the second half. So that was kind of the game plan by Charlie Weiss going into it. And we, we come around this bend. It's like the final turn as we're heading into the stadium, like through the gates to go in. And there's this girl who ends up flashing us. I mean, she, she, she pulls up the shirt, flashes us. And, and I'm usually at the front with, like, John Sullivan, my center, and a couple other guys like Samarja and those guys and we're and Zibby and we're like, Oh, okay. Like, and she's like, can you sign them? She's so still holding oh. them up. And I, I was so conflicted because we just left mass. We got a game <laughs> going on. And, and I'm like, I don't, I don't think so. And this guy next to us pointing is like, it's my wife. You got to sign them. And I'm like, this is so awkward. I said, I'll sign your Jersey. I'm not going to sign those. So I ended up I ended up signing her jersey. I think we took a picture and then we went on. Uh, but but for I mean, look, we got out to a really fast start in that game. I think we executed the game plan. We are primed. I think maybe that has a small part in, in getting everyone fired up as we headed in uh, as we headed in the stadium. Stop! Stop! That's it. That's it. It's over. That's the winner. Uh, that uh, is phenomenal. Cool. Uh, yeah, didn't have that at App State. I don't know, Bucky, North Carolina. But <laughs> no, no. Never happened. Not never North happened. Carolina. No. It's funny. <laughs> All uh, right, Brady. I, I don't know if that was to... what you're looking for there, but no. that was the first thing that came up. That was great. Well, I've got that's tears. So I've got tears streaming down my face, so that tells me it was a winner. Uh, hey, man, <laughs> I know you've got uh, you got a fun one this week, uh, crossing over, doing the, doing your NFL stuff. What do you got? Lions-Cardinals, right? This week's a little Josh Rosen action. Yeah, a little Josh Rose, a big win last week versus the Packers. Uh, you know, Byron Leftwich has, has taken over the, the play calling for them. He's taken a lot off his shoulders. They're not throwing quite as much, but it, it, look, they're two and three in the last five games. So it, it's kind of worked out actually for the better, but uh, excited to see him and excited to see Matt Staff. I know he's not working with a lot, but you know, he's as talented as it gets in my book just from watching, you know, film on him. He's, he, you could tell he's playing a little banged up and he's not getting protection and there's not many guys separating. So, uh, unfortunately, he's going to have a tough task. Have to go on the road and play against a very, very good uh, Arizona Cardinals defense. No, no doubt. Looking forward to uh, to listen to you on the call there, and uh, we appreciate your time, Brady. Let's catch up again real soon. Awesome, guys. Thanks so much for having me on. Really appreciate it. 
All right, Buck, it was great to catch up with our buddy Brady Quinn. Uh, always fun to chat with him, especially uh, when we can mix in some good Notre Dame conversation, uh, no doubt there. Uh, but what else uh, What else you want to get into here, Buck, before we get out of here? Fun going through the games, great chat with Brady Quinn. Uh, what do we got in the notebook this week? Uh, man, we're talking about a lot of stuff. We're talking about some of the stuff we talked about earlier. Ron Rivera taking over the defense. We're going to talk about the Cowboys' offense since Amari Cooper has come. Maybe Jerry Jones wasn't crazy for making the move to get a first-round pick. Um, that has really impacted their offense. That's going to be interesting to see what happens. Uh, with. I'll tell you what I'm keeping an eye on. The last thing I'll give you here, the last thing I'm keeping an eye on, these Raiders' uh, first-round picks. You know, if you're a Raider fan, you're you're uh, you're very interested in what goes on here with the Chicago Bears and the Dallas Cowboys coming down the stretch. Because man, when those trades were made, you were made you were thinking a couple top 15 picks. Uh, not so much right now. So I know one thing: the uh, the Oakland Raider fans will be rooting hard for the Philadelphia Eagles this weekend. Yeah, they got to root hard because man, you talk about the Bears and the Cowboys. What if both of those teams make the playoffs? <laughs> now all your, now picks your picks are, are right 20s, at the bottom line. The 30s. Oh, yeah, yeah. So now you're giving up top five picks, two top five picks for guys that are kind of borderline first-round players. I don't know if that is what they envisioned when they made the moves and they were widely celebrated for making those moves. No question. Can I give you an – I'll give you a notebook nugget here. That's what you ought to do, Buck, is go through the last couple years um, at where the players that were picked in the range they thought those picks were going to be versus the players that uh, were picked in the range that they actually will be. Uh, the difference, you know, I guess I should say the difference Huge between difference. the player you get at 27 versus the player you get at 7, you know, like that's, uh, that's a different animal. <laughs> huge, huge difference if you know what you're doing, if you know how you're picking. Uh, look, we talk about it. Man, that top 10 is fertile ground. If you know how to pick real good players, you can get a difference maker, an impact player in that range. But, man, when you're down at the bottom of the first round, there's some possibles, some guys that possibly could be stars, but they're not the sure things that we think about when we're considering picking in the top ten. All right. That was a great point. No uh, no doubt about it. That was a fun episode today, Buck. Thanks uh, again for all your work over there you're doing in England and, and really kind of cramming two jobs into one, doing all your stuff you've got going on at NFL Media, including these podcasts, and then and then helping the folks out over there at Sky Sports, doing a wonderful job. So I appreciate the effort you're uh, you're giving overseas right now, man. Hope you have a wonderful. And I appreciate uh, it. Yeah, I'm trying to stake a new flag. Trying to stake a new flag. I'm trying to stake our flag while I kind of pull up the ATM flag a little bit. I'm trying to loosen it a little bit. I can't yes, pull it all the way out the thing ground, up. but loosen I certainly can loosen it up a little bit. By the way, you got to get to a soccer match while you're there. Yeah, I'm trying to get to. to um, man, you plays while I'm over here, so I'm gonna see if I can get over that way. Yeah, you got to do it, man. It's a great experience. So uh, report back to me there uh, what you see. Uh, all right, that's going to do it for us today. Uh, appreciate you guys listening. Nice work behind the glass there by our buddy Kent and Cam always uh, helping out, getting uh, getting all our video stuff squared away. So we do appreciate the uh, the whole group here on the Move the Sticks team. Uh, that's it. We'll, uh, we'll catch you next week right here on Move the Sticks. We'll be recapping a huge NFL weekend, lots of playoff implications, and who knows, might see some more teams uh, clinch their spot in the postseason. We'll have you covered right here on Move the Sticks. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. For more, go to nfl.com slash podcasts. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. 
So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.